episode 25 with Heather Renshaw. In this episode, we talk about divine mercy and how we can apply the concept of spiritual childhood and trust in our daily lives. Hi, Heather. Hello, ladies. How are you? Hi, Heather. We're great. How are you? I am doing quite well. Happy Easter. Happy Happy Easter. Easter. Oh my gosh. So exciting to see that. Thanks so much for coming on Caritas and talking with us. Could you um, just spend a few minutes introducing yourself to our listeners a bit? I'm Heather Renshaw, and I'm married to David Renshaw. Um, He is the enforcer in our family. We've been married for almost 15 years. I call him the enforcer because he lays down the law. He keeps me on the straight and narrow. (laughs) And we have five children, ages 12 and under. We had five in uh, 10 years. So we're really a busy little household here. And um, so I have had a career in the past as a human resources professional and a consultant, a um, management consultant for different companies. And I started staying home after our fifth son was born. So um, now I work from home and I have a month, yeah, monthly column with the Archdiocesan newspaper. And I'm a co-host of the Visitation Project on Modern Day Radio here in Portland, Oregon. And I started a couple of women's conferences so basically, I just do a lot of stuff to keep myself off the streets. <laughs> so you are a busy woman. Yeah, you sound like maybe you have a very full plate over there, ma'am. Well, I have a full plate, but honestly, it's because I love Jesus. So if anybody has a problem with it, they can just take it up with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. You've devoted yourself to so many great ministries. Things, ministries. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you have, I will just say, I got the pleasure of seeing Heather address a women's conference that at Blessed Is She Beauty for Ashes a few weeks ago. And she has such a beautiful heart. So the fact that people are getting to experience her wit and wisdom through her column and her radio show and the conferences, y'all are lucky. Oh, thank you, Bridget. You're so sweet. (laughs) It was nice to be there with you. It was really great to meet some of the Blessed Is She community in person, finally, because we've been doing this sisterhood thing kind of, um, you know, virtually for a while. And it was just really cool to see how many different women, the different ages and the different backgrounds all come together in Arizona. So that was a great experience. Mm -hmm. It was great to meet you. Yes, it was great to meet you too, and it's great to always meet other women who are drawn to each other through Christ. It's just a beautiful thing, and that's how Lisa and I found each other too. That's true. (laughs) Uh, But so today we, we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about divine mercy in this season of Easter, in the year of mercy, because yesterday we as a church just celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday. Yes, we did. It's my favorite. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it definitely is. I am excited for our conversation because I feel like divine mercy can be such a sometimes like complicated topic, I guess. Um, So I'm, I'm excited to talk with you, Heather, about it. 
Well, I appreciate that. I'm not really a huge expert on the nuts and bolts of Divine Mercy. I mean, I've read a lot about it, and I feel like the the expertise that I hold in Divine Mercy is that I have benefited from it immensely. Mm. (laughs) Um, That's the real experience you have to have, the practical knowledge. Right, right, the practical knowledge. Well, and also, I just, I feel like... I said that it's my favorite. Now, I really love all of the feasts and Pentecost. We have a really special devotion to Pentecost, but Divine Mercy, even before our Holy Father Pope Francis declared this Jubilee Year of Mercy, uh, has always been close to my heart because I feel like as someone who is considered a re I consider myself a revert to the faith. I was raised in the church and then I fell away and then I came back and I just really acknowledge and recognize that without divine mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would be lost. So um, when I started to learn more about this devotion, I thought I got to tell everybody about divine mercy because it's been such an important aspect of peace and healing and comfort in my own life. So Heather, um, you, you obviously, as you said, have experienced Divine Mercy very deeply and personally in your life. Could you tell us a little bit more about that story of reconversion? Oh, sure. Well, it's really embarrassing. No. <laughs> it's Well, I say it's embarrassing because, to be honest, you know, for somebody who was brought up in the faith, I should have known what I had when I had it, and I just didn't. Um, I was raised by faithful parents, and for whatever reason, the truths of Catholicism, did they just didn't really seep into my soul the way that they probably should have. I don't know if it was just because it was the 80s and the lack of really um, good catechesis or um, if it was just my own woundedness, it probably was a combination of those things. But um, I really could not wait to get out of my parents' house. I was really ready to experience my own version of freedom. And so when I left for college, I pretty much decided, you know, I'm going to just do my own thing. I didn't go to church. And I know there's a lot of people who during college, they, they do stray, but, um, I was basically living in the world. You know, I couldn't, couldn't go to enough parties, couldn't meet enough guys, couldn't, um, the music wasn't loud enough. (laughs) It was definitely an, an Augustinian, uh, phase of my life. And, of course, you know, you know, based on St. Augustine's quote where he says, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. I was searching for God in all of these places and he wasn't there. And so I was still at the end of the day left empty and left wounded and broken even more so than I was to begin with. So um, it's embarrassing in a way because I feel like you know, as a revert, somebody was asking me, what what does being a revert mean? And I, I really thought about it. And, and I said, you know, it means that for a while there, I thought I was smarter than God. Um, I thought I was smarter than the thousands of years of martyrs and saints and people who put their trust and their faith in this beautiful church. And I thought I was smarter than Jesus. Um Basically, it just came down to the fact that I was miserable, and I realized that the way that I was living my life was not the right way. And so a series of events, um, I started turning back toward the faith of my youth, and um, I was working in a very Protestant environment, 
And even though I wasn't practicing the faith, they knew that I basically self-identified like as a cultural Catholic. And so they'd be asking me all these questions like, you know, who's Mary and why do you the saints? And, you know, why have to confess sins to a man? And all these typical Protestant questions. And I realized that I didn't really know the answers to those questions. And so I started off by asking my mom and she's like, Heather, why don't you look it up in the catechism? And I was like, what? What's that? (laughs) I didn't even know. I didn't even know what I didn't know. And so through the questions of these co-workers and um, supervisors of mine, I started really digging in and researching my faith. And it was in that time that I started to see the richness and the beauty. I think I knew kind of the what of the faith, like what I should believe and, and what was going on more or less from a childlike perspective. But I didn't really understand the why. And for somebody like me, who's kind of strong-willed, you know, bullheaded and intellectually caged by nature, I really needed to understand the why. And it was when the whys and the what started matching up that I started to understand, oh my gosh, I have been so, so wrong. And it was then that I um, began receiving the sacraments and went back into full communion with the church. And I have not looked back since. That's incredible. Thanks so much for Praise sharing God. that. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> mm. As a Bridget and I both have had reconversion experiences, and I so appreciate other people sharing their reconversion experiences because I don't feel as alone <laughs> in that um, yeah. in that journey and that path, which I think a lot of us go through. Um, if you have an experience, pride. <laughs> in your life, please show me how, because I feel like we all go through those periods where we think we know more than God does, you know, and um, it's very humbling to come back to a place of humility and um, reception. I remember in college when I was going through this reconversion, the word of, I guess, like this mantra of receptivity and receiving was like so big in my spiritual life. Because I think I was I was learning how to receive God, receive his word, and receive his truth um, in a deeper way than I had in my high school um, years. That's really beautiful. I, you know, it's, it's funny. Good. Oh, sorry, Heather, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's beautiful. I was, jinx. It's funny because I have a similar story, Heather, to you. Yeah. But still, I so rarely think of myself or my story in terms of reversion, because that sounds so much more dramatic than I feel like my experience was. Like, I just was too cool for the Catholic Church for a while, and then I realized I wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And how humbling is that? You know, it's just like, oh, my mom was right the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's actually, like, very real. Mm -hmm. That hits a little close to home. Mm -hmm. Um. Even if that mom is sometimes like Mary being like, oh, right, you're perfect and holy, and I never will be. Yeah, but she loves us, though. I mean, I think that's the thing that's so wonderful about our Blessed Mother is that she she realizes she realizes that we are not fully God and fully human like her son was. We're just fully human with all of our stuff. Thank and goodness. she just loves us the way that we are. Yeah, thank goodness. Thank God. 
I have to say, I always think of that saying, like, I have good news and I have bad news. We have a priest who says this in his homilies all the time. No, there's good news and there's better news. The good news is that there's a Messiah. The better news is that you're not it. (laughs) I love that. And thank God for that, because the world would be a much different place with Heather or Elise or Bridget as the Messiah. Amen? Amen. (laughs) A worse place. But so I think that dovetails really well into talking about divine mercy because we are not perfect. Yeah. Could you just tell us what is divine mercy? Well, divine mercy, um, a lot of people relate it to the devotion that was brought upon um, by Sister Faustina Kowalka, a little foolish nun um, who lived actually, she was a contemporary of JP2 or a little bit before and um, so Divine Mercy is kind of, and, and see now here's where my not being a theologian is going to be at my detriment, but my understanding is that during the time of the Divine Mercy um, um, picture, you know, the, the picture that she had painted that Jesus asked her to have painted, there was just a sense of people not understanding that they could go to God, that he was fully loved. And it's kind of connected to the sacred heart of Jesus, um, that Jesus would say, behold, the heart that has loved so much, but is so little loved. And that we just were not trusting in him. And so his heart was just burning with this desire to show us mercy. It was the only way that his heart could be consoled and that he could be quenched was by us trusting in him and him being merciful to us. And so um, St. Faustina Kowalska was the one that um, that basically propagated this image, the Divine Mercy image, and there's a couple of different official versions. And the stewards of the Divine Mercy um, devotion are the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, who are in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, great priests, holy priests. And um, just yesterday, they had their huge celebration on the hill, like they do every year, but I think... It was really even more special this year because it's the Jubilee Year of Mercy, and um, one of the uh, one of the Marians, Father Michael Gately, wrote a book called "33 Days to Merciful Love," and basically it's a preparation for consecration to Divine Mercy. So yesterday he led um, a whole bunch of people. I'm, I'm assuming from around the world in dedicating themselves and consecrating themselves to Divine Mercy. Um, And a group from a nearby parish and I have been going through this do-it-yourself retreat for 33 days to merciful love. And um, when I heard that there was a consecration to Divine Mercy, I'd never known that there was such a thing. But then when I heard about it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to get me some of that. Um, So, but basically, that's, that's the definition of Jesus. You know, he is mercy. And a, a lot of people think that he is just this just God that comes to punish and um, to subjugate. And and that's really not the way at all. He really longs for us to just throw ourselves into his arms like a dad, really, you know, for us to say, I, I'm not worthy. I'm not the Messiah. I need you. I need your help. And then he brings us into his arms and into his sacred heart and burns up all the imperfections, and we are filled with his love. And um, so that's just a really beautiful, uh, it's, it's just the most beautiful devotion that I've 
personally been in, been involved with since I came back to the faith. I had never heard of that consecration to divine mercy either. I'm only familiar with consecration, you know, to Jesus through Mary or consecration to the sacred heart. You know, those are more, I feel like common mm-hmm. consecration. So it's, it's wonderful to hear that there's such a, a wide river of graces that we can consecrate ourselves within. And I mean, in addition to every day, the grace that we receive from God, that's so wonderful. Um, right. And I was also thinking when you were talking about St. Faustina being a near contemporary of St. John Paul II, you know, we also had in Poland at that time, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, who is St. Edith Stein, oh, yes. and St. Maximilian Kolbe, one of the patrons of this podcast. And it's just incredible to think about, you know, we have these four modern saints and think of how many other saints there must have been in their midst to at such a holy time. It's just incredible to think about the work that God was doing in Poland during those decades. Mm-hmm. I, in college, read St. Faustina's, um, her, not all of it, I did, but her diary. Yes. Oh, man. That is a powerful book. Holy cow. It rocked my world. Why? Why is that? Um, because Jesus, I mean, Jesus appeared to her. <laughs> like she was a woman who like yeah, saw no big Jesus. Deal. No big deal. Just the savior of the world appearing to you, you know? <laughs> right. It was like, it wasn't just like, you know, with other saints who I greatly admire, who just receive more of like a softer... Jesus in a, almost like a softer way of <laughs> like That's of, a really um, intense way. Yeah. She, she, my, one of my favorite, um, stories of St. Faustina, um, was that she wanted to be a sister and then her parents wouldn't let her. So she, um, was at a dance, like a, I'm sure like a church youth dance, um, one night and she was like, I guess in her late teens, I want to say early twenties. And she was at this dance and like having a good time, like whatever, dancing. just at a dance, yeah, at a dance. And Jesus appeared to her at the dance leading. Yes. And was like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you not doing what I've called you to do? And she went home that night, packed her bags, told her sister she was leaving and left and went into the convent. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Like, really intense stuff. Like, she, Jesus, like, just had some amazing plans for her sister, St. Faustina. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awesome if we all had that ability to see Jesus when we had a plan about something? <laughs> you know? I, mean, I know. Like, Jesus, just tell me what you want me to do, and I will, I will do it. But, yeah. you know, show up at my dance or whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't just... Seriously, I would really appreciate that. Yeah. And to me, that image just was so profound because, I don't know, sometimes I can soften my ideal of sin. You know, like, can you like, oh, I can tell that white lie or something. Like, it's not... It it really doesn't... I don't know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm a good person, right? Um, But then when I think about this image of St. Faustina... At a like at just a dance, seeing the crucified Lord in front of her, um, 
it you're like oh Christ is a like Christ's death and his sacrifice to us on the cross is was a reality. This isn't you know our sins um, are a real thing that he died for. You know like our it's our sins have consequences um, and yeah that's like Jesus died for them and for, so that we can live with him. Um, Amen. You know and. Yeah, St. Faustina just has always been really an incredible saint um, in my mind. Oh, that's so great. I love hearing those stories, Elise, because I'm, I think we forget. I think that we read these things sometimes and we think, oh, at the time, oh, yeah, that, that was really powerful. But then we just kind of breathe through it. And so you saying that again reminds me of how elect she was. I mean, she... She was just really open to the Holy Spirit and allowed these things to happen and was like, yeah, use me. I will be a vessel for your message of divine mercy. Even when people didn't believe her, I think she had a mother superior try to shut her down. Right. When they finally got around, they finally got around to, to getting the artist to do the image. And I don't even remember how many different versions they had to go through before she finally said, yes, this was him. This is who I saw. And this is the the um, the image with the rays coming out from him and his body, that, uh, that touching the, the, wound. You know, the blood and the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Going to that image, you know, um, the divine mercy image is Christ um, with open arms. Uh, well, I guess one open arm and then one hand touching his heart, mm-hmm. his sacred heart, and then two um, streams coming out of his heart. One white and one red representing the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. Is that correct, Heather? Well, it's blood and water, right? Blood and water. The blood yeah. and water, okay. yes. Right, which comes exactly from the Divine Mercy Chaplet, which is a beautiful prayer that can be said on regular rosary beads. Um, but the, one of the main prayers is, at the beginning of blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus, as a sound of mercy for us, I trust in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about what this blood and and water means for us as Catholics? Sure, I can definitely try. Like I said, (laughs) I'm a lay person who is totally in love with this devotion, and I am not theologically, like, super sound on all of the details, the nitty-gritty of it. But That's um, totally fine. (laughs) I'm feeling like, okay, I need to go back to school on on mercy. But that's kind of been my life. My life has been a journey of mercy, and so I feel like I'm learning more and more. Um, I started to learn even more about divine mercy, and I'll get to the image in a second, but um, from another of Father Michael Gately's book called Consoling the Heart of Jesus. And um, you were talking about how our sins, Elise, put Jesus on the cross, basically. You know, it was a real event. It's a reality. It happened. He was there because of our sins. And... um, in the book, Consoling the Heart of Jesus, Father Gately talks about how um, Faustina heard that really the thing that hurts Jesus the most is not all of those sins. And yes, those are very hurtful and those are very real and we should be uh, repentant of those sins. But the thing that really hurts his heart the most is when we don't trust him because He's saying, you know, I've done these things for you. I've died on the cross for you. I'm God. I love you. I want you to be with me. And then we just say, yes, Jesus, you're right. And then we turn around and try to take back that mandalship of being our own savior. 
Um, so I, that's what I, I wanted to just say that, that not trusting him is the thing that hurt his heart the most. But um, as far as the image is concerned, um, when the soldier pierced Jesus' side, blood and water flowed. And um, it kind of goes back to the typology of the sacrificial lamb. Um, the, the sacrifice that had to be made uh, for purification. And when the blood and water flowed out of Jesus, it was just kind of reminiscent of that sacrifice of other living things that would have been made by the people to God um, just as an offering. And so his holy, his holy blood and his holy water flowed out of his body, and that is what Basically, um, I'm going to use the word baptized, but I don't mean that in a sacramental sense necessarily, but it flowed out as a, a river of, of mercy and grace and healing for all of us upon the earth. Um, obviously, there were some people that were there that, that believed that, and there were some that did not. But um, it's just showing the, the powerful salvific efficacy of his blood and his water. At least that's that's what I've understood. Did you ever do any research on that, Elise, when you were reading her diary? I did a little bit, and I remember learning about it in grad school. But um, and I like you said, I feel like there is more um, of a tie back to the Old Testament that I'm not quite sound on. But I think um, I think you said it perfectly, Heather. Yeah, the sacrificial lamb, that's such Old Testament um, imagery to draw back. And, you know, it connects the idea of divine mercy from the very earliest parts of our scripture through salvation history to all of us today and the Paschal Mystery that we live with in our present time. It's pretty pretty incredible to think about the fact that the infinite love of God has mercy and grace for all of us throughout, throughout history. Mm-hmm. And Heather, we were talking about trusting in Jesus. How, how do you trust in Jesus in your life and how can we practically trust him when it's really difficult to do so? Oh, you know, and this is something that I've kind of had to take a cue from the saints because I don't know that I am by nature a super trusting person. Maybe I am. I I'm still getting to know myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love St. Frank I love Saint Francis de Sales because he said, Be who you are and be that well and I just feel like, Okay, I I'm gonna just try and be who I am. Okay, who is that again? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but trusting in God is one of those things that if you haven't had very good, loving, and trusting relationships in your life, or you've been hurt or betrayed often in your in your life, it can be really hard because you kind of project those feelings of mistrust and um, maybe abandonment or betrayal on God. Um, and and I know that I've done that myself, where I felt like, well, how can I trust God because I don't really have anyone in my life that I feel I can trust. And and thanks be to God, that's not true anymore. But there was definitely a time in my life where I was thinking, I can't really trust anybody. But 
um, learning more about the spirituality of St. Therese of Lisieux has been really instrumental with my ability to trust God. And part of that is because she herself had such a childlike abandonment to God as her Abba, as her daddy, and that he was her loving father. And so nothing that could come to her, whether it be a good thing or a challenging thing, would ever be anything that was meant for um, anything less than her sanctification and her holiness. And she was very famous to say, everything is grace. And I can actually quote from her, um, everything is the direct effect of our Father's love, difficulties, contradictions, humiliations, all the soul's miseries, her burdens, her needs, everything. Because through him, she learns humility, realizes her weakness, Everything is a grace because everything is God's gift. Whatever be the character of life or its unexpected events, to the heart that loves, all is well. Those are um, the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, a doctor of the church who died at, you know, in her 20s. Um, what a beautiful... <sighs> I know. It was, well, and I'd I'm never speechless. really heard that before. I'd never really heard that before, and I thought... That's right. God is our Father, and He does love us. He loved us before we loved Him. And if He does love us so much, then yes, anything that happens to us, whether it's good or bad, is for our own sanctification because He's our Father. And how much more does He love us than even our our earthly parents? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, the real way to trust in God, and this is going to maybe sound like a cop-out, but honestly, the, the way to trust in God is to trust in God. You just have to take a step out and and stand at the edge of that cliff and just say, okay, Lord, I've been listening, and I think this is what you're calling me toward, and I'm just going to take this step. And then he catches you because he's your dad. He loves you. He, he wants you to be with him. So anything that happens, good or bad, it's for your own sanctification and so that you will more... Um, more closely resemble his son so that you can be with him forever in heaven. Yeah, I mean, we're invited to participate in the life of the Trinity, which God exists in perfect relationship of love and happiness and joy and, you know, all virtue and all beauty and goodness is the, you know, if if we're invited to participate in that, then God is going to send us the blessings and the ability and the mercy and the grace to join that relationship, mm-hmm. participate in it fully. Yeah. And like we were talking about earlier, um, how and when the revelation of divine mercy was coming to be, it was the early 20th century and the Lord knew the Second Vatican Council was coming, and um, our world just shifted so much at the beginning at that century. And I feel like the Lord was giving us such a great gift um, in drawing us closer to His heart. And He knew that moving forward in this time period, that we had to go beyond just. <laughs> as I like to call angry Jesus, <laughs> which is an yeah. image that, um, that one of the shrines at, um, in DC, um, is a really beautiful mosaic, but big, um, big, um, image of Jesus kind of has his, um, 
like eyebrows furrowed and looks kind of angry. So that's what I think of when I say angry Jesus. But um, oh, no. <laughs> you know, that we that we had to go beyond that and that he wanted to call right. us into deeper relationship with him as a church. Um, because even I've struggled with this idea of, okay, well, what really is divine mercy? Is it just, you know, is God just like angry at us and I need to go through Jesus to like, ask Jesus to plead on our, my behalf in front of God Mm -hmm. so that God doesn't like strike me down or something or send me to hell or, you know, something bad. But really what divine mercy really is, is gazing deeper into the father's heart and reminding us that God and the father and Jesus, um, are two and one. And, um, you know, Jesus through divine mercy was giving us a, a gaze into the father's heart who has existed since the beginning of time and has been the same father who guided the Israelites out of G- um, Egypt. And the divine mercy was just a way to, for the church to fall deeper in love with God. Right. So, yeah. And I think I needed, I needed that mercy though, because of a very big sinner I just felt like I had to throw myself on the mercy of God because if I threw myself on the justice of God I would perish does that <laughs> mm-hmm. make sense mm-hmm. yeah like absolutely. if I if I said hey God give me what I deserve boom it's over you know <laughs> yeah. and so I just felt like that that was one of the reasons I was so attracted to it I was like I need God's mercy I realize this I am the prodigal son I am you know, the woman at the well, I am the woman with the hemorrhage. I am all these people that are just coming to God and begging him for his, his healing. And so that, that really was the impetus for me. It's like, okay, if there is, if there's a devotion to mercy, I need to be all about that because I need it. So a lot of this stuff can be pretty like metaphysical and hard to wrap your head around. So I have two questions for you, Heather. One, did St. Faustina understand divine mercy right away? Like, was this something that she was just able to, like, snap her fingers and understand as Jesus appeared to her? Or was that something that she had to grow on her understanding of? And then two, how can we practically live in the grace of divine mercy day to day in this year of mercy? So whichever one you want to get after first. Go for it. But those are my two questions. Okay, Bridget, I will do my best. Thank you. (laughs) I'm saying a little perfect right now. Well, um, in so the the image came about in 1931, and it was because Saint Faustina explicitly heard Jesus say to her, "I want you to paint this image, and I want people to venerate this image, the image of divine mercy, and that we'll have the words Jesus, I trust in you on the image." And if they um, they venerate it, they won't die. Basically, they won't perish. They won't go to hell. Um, that we would also be able to have, be victorious over any of our enemies on earth if we um, venerate divine mercy. And that Jesus himself promised to defend people um, who are venerators of his divine mercy. So these are pretty powerful promises. But... Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know. She's, she's being, they're trying to, um, to have her accepted as a, another doctor of the church, actually. There's oh, a wow. cause open for that. Yeah. So I don't, 
I don't presume to understand exactly what a possible doctor of the church was thinking. I'm, I'm thinking she probably had an idea of the mercy of God, but maybe not exactly what this image meant, because in, in her book, um, it says that her spiritual director actually um, asked her what the image meant. And instead of answering him directly, instead of answering her spiritual director directly, Faustina actually asked the Lord what the meaning of the rays in the image were, the, the white ray and the red ray. And oh, wow. she heard these. Yeah. So, so in her diary, she heard these words in reply from Jesus about the image itself. So, um, so we were right. Yay for us non-theologians, but um, <laughs> the two rays denote blood and water. So the pale ray stands for the water, which makes souls righteous. So that sounds like baptism. Um, and then the red ray stands for the blood, which is the life of souls. And again, these are Jesus's words to Faustina. These two rays issued forth from the depths of my tender mercy when my agonized heart was opened by a lamp on the cross. Happy is the one who will dwell in their shelter. For the just hand of God shall not lay hold of him. By means of this image, I shall grant many graces to souls. It is to be a reminder of the demands of my mercy, because even the strongest faith is of no avail without works. Um, and then um, the commentator says that those words indicate that the image represents the graces of divine mercy poured out upon the world, especially through baptism and the Eucharist. So that kind of dovetails into your second question about how can we live this divine mercy in our lives? Well, I would say, first of all, um, go to confession. <laughs> that, that is the sacrament of mercy and, and go regularly. You know, the saints went regularly. And if we want to be in heaven with Jesus, that means we have to be a saint because there are no people who are not saints in heaven, canonized or not. So, Avail yourself of the graces of God and remember your calling through baptism that you are called as a redeemed child of the Lord. And then go to, um, to the Eucharist, receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity regularly and, um, and in a grace, grace-filled state, you know, the proper state and the proper disposition to receive him. Um, and I think the other thing is kind of goes back to that biblical story about the man who has shown much mercy much mercy should be expected. You know, if you've been shown mercy, which all of us have through the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of our Lord, then we are in turn in our daily lives should show mercy to others. So practice forgiveness, practice kindness, practice compassion, and also practice um, Jesus, I trust in you. If you don't have a devotion to the Divine Mercy Chaplet, See if you can pick up an image. Um, there's so many different images available, and there's some in very small holy card size that are very inexpensive. And you can just ask God to tell you how to venerate His divine mercy more. Um, and one of the, the prayers that I say regularly when I don't really have time necessarily to sit and have a full-length conversation with our Lord is, Jesus, I trust in you. And then do things that might be a little scary that God is asking you to do, because that's showing that you do trust him. And I'm not saying be, you know, cockamamie and do something <laughs> that's not safe or not moral, but sometimes God calls us out into the deep, and it can be scary because we're like, wait, Lord, I don't know if that's really what you're saying. But if you've gone through the proper steps of discernment, and you've prayed and you've asked him for his guidance, and he tells you something, and you have a sense of peace in your heart, even though your mind might be going a million miles an hour. Say, okay, Jesus, I trust in you. And then 
cast your nets out for a catch. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that, Heather. It's beautiful. I've been praying a, I would say, very dangerous prayer lately. It it was, um, I picked it up from a book, a collection of Henry Nowen's writings on discernment. And it reminded mm-hmm. me of what you were saying earlier of, you know, these saints who get such a clear path and Jesus is clearly calling them and where they are meant to be. And the prayer from the, from Nowen's writing is, uh, I'm trying to remember it verbatim off the top of my head, but it's basically, Jesus, I will go where you lead me, but please make it clear. <laughs> and yeah. That question and discernment is such a big one that, you know, Jesus, I want to do your will, but show me how. So, And then give me the courage to do it because it can be kind of scary, um, you know, it, just to our, our natural minds. It definitely can be something that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, I know that there's been a couple of things happening in my life recently that we don't need to get into specifically, but I've been asking God for clarity and he's given me some pretty strong signal graces and some pretty strong indicators of what to do. And what I'm realizing is that I don't necessarily want to do those things. <laughs> you know, I'm holding on to my idea. But, but Lord, do you really mean that? Because I was thinking maybe this might work, you know. <laughs> so I'm, like, negotiating with that. And he's, I'm sure that he just face palms and is like, oh, there, there, Heather. <laughs> Like, you want me to be clear, and I'm being clear, but you have to listen, and then you have to obey. And (laughs) for somebody like me, it's a hard thing, you know, that that listening and obedience. It's like, oh, yeah, I have kids. I know what that's like, trying to get them to listen (laughs) and obey. And I'm doing the same thing to God. I'm doing the same thing. (laughs) I feel that so much. I've been getting a lot of very clear no's lately from God, and those are, I feel like sometimes... I want to just push ahead anyway. Like, ah, right. just come on, just, just let me go with this. This seemed like a good idea. <laughs> right. And it, it is like talking to a little kid, like really? No, like this is a terrible <laughs> idea. Please stop. Like, can you just not with that, please? And I think about how many times I've tried to negotiate with toddlers and I feel like God feels <laughs> like he's negotiating with the toddler with me. He probably is, <laughs> but then when we realize it, you know, I think if we realize it and we just say, oh yeah, God, you were right. And we just run to him and just give him a hug and say, I'm sorry. I should have listened to you. He's like, that's fine. You know, this is where you're supposed to be anyway, is near my heart. This is where I want you. Mm, staying close to Jesus's heart. I think that's a great way to wrap up our episode today. We always have one final wrap-up question. Mm Elise, do you want to ask it? Sure. So, Heather, we ask, um, who is most spiritually inspiring you right now? Who's your spiritual hero at the moment, so to say? Oh, gosh. That's like asking me what my favorite flower is. I know. It's tough. (laughs) Um, Well, I have to say that Right now, it's probably, um, so it's a saint, right? It has to be a saint. It can be anyone, but saints are very popular. Saints are the most popular. Okay. Well, I guess I would say that right now it's St. Therese. And um, it's kind of funny that it is St. Therese because um, 
her whole thing is the little way. And my whole thing is I'm really loud and obnoxious. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both, lady. (laughs) And and so I just am like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, she lost me at little. That's what I joked about. I'm like, yeah, I don't get it. And, And it wasn't until I started reading more about her that I was like, wow, this really is powerful. And it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the whole of the Catholic Church naming her a doctor of the church can't be wrong. But I think it's just returning to that that place of spiritual childhood and realizing that I don't have all the answers and then reestablishing that relationship with God as my father, as my loving father who provides for me, who is there for me, who will never abandon me. Um, so I've really been, really, really been digging on St. Therese. And it wasn't until that, um, not that long ago that I realized my name is Heather, which is a little flower. Oh, and, um, I love so, that. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I see what you did there, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you tricked me into having this patron. <laughs> yeah. Um, I see what you did there. So I'm really enjoying her right now. And also, um, you know, blessed mother Teresa of Calcutta who will be canonized and they have, there's a lot of similarities in their spirituality, mm-hmm. um, even though they were so vastly different. Um, so I don't know, just hanging out with a lot of Teresa's lately, I guess. I mean, both of them so perfectly embody that surrender and trust to God, the surrendering of self that we talk about with divine mercy. That is just right. What more saintly trait could you have than the total abandonment Mm -hmm. of pride to the Lord? Yeah. Mm Yeah. I love the phrase you used of spiritual childhood to the Lord's been really using the word innocence in my spiritual life recently too. And I feel like that really connects to spiritual childhood, just that mm-hmm. innocent faith and trust in the Lord. Um, right. what we're called to. Well, and, blessed, and blessed are the pure in heart, you know, mm-hmm. for they shall see God. And I just think kids just don't have all the hangups that we adults gather over the course of our years. They just don't. I mean, they trust that if you're standing there and they're going to jump off of something, you're just going to catch them. <laughs> and and I think that that's, that's kind of the way God wants us to be. He's just like, you know, I got you. I got this. I got the situation. I got you. And you don't have to worry. You're making things so much more complicated than they need to be. And I am I am kind of the queen of complications. So the spiritual childhood and, and kind of just going back to basics of my identity as his daughter and his identity as my loving father has been really powerful for me as of late. I love that Amen. so much. My mom tells the story of her most scary moment. I jumped into the deep end of a pool before I could really swim. And I was old ah. enough to remember it. And she, my dad jumped in to get me. But I don't remember being scared. Like, I just uh-huh. jumped into this pool. I was like, all right. Here, here goes. Mm, this looks fun. And that's such, I only just thought of it listening to you talk about that, Heather, because it's like, we don't need to be scared. We can just, I can just return to that irresponsible, <laughs> but trusting. <laughs> and it's not even irresponsible because my parents were there to yoink me right out of the deep end. But you freaked them out. You I freaked, did well, freak prudence. them out. I mean, yeah, you have to you have to have prudence. You're gonna you're not gonna do something that's not prudent. But absolutely it may not be it may not be comfortable. It may not mm-hmm. be the person that comes to your mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. You and I have something more in common than you think, Bridget. I was one of those kids that jumped into the pool, too, when I was little and freaked my parents out, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, so funny. But thank you so much for joining us, Heather. Mm-hmm. It was such a joy talking to you about Divine Mercy. Um, enjoy the rest of the Easter celebration, um, and we will be in touch. That sounds wonderful. Thank you, ladies, so much for having me on. It's been a joy to be with you and your listeners. God bless you all.